And then when I start writing about them, you're thinking about it so much, you begin to understand why you are the person that you are to this very day. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. If you've ever wanted to write a book about your life, but you worry that your story isn't interesting enough, it doesn't jump off the page, it doesn't have enough twists and turns, you're not going to want to miss today's episode. On today's episode, I talked to Jill Phillips, who is so many things. I could read you from her bio, but I think what I want you to hear from me is that Jill Phillips is not an influencer. She's not a professional writer. She doesn't work in publishing. She doesn't have connections in publishing. And yet she had an important story that she wanted to tell from her real life. And so she did it. She sat down and she wrote the story. Her book is called Lamlash Street, a portrait of the 1960s post-war London through one family story. And it's an incredible reminder to all of us that if we have a story that we want to tell from our life, that there are a lot of great benefits that we can get from writing down the story, regardless of how the publishing details play out. So if you have a story from your own life that you want to tell and you wonder to yourself, how do I tell this in a way that's going to be you know, honoring to my family members and the other people who are involved? How do I remember a life fondly when not every part of it was glowing or shiny? How do I write about difficult topics or difficult family members? And then how do I get a book published when I don't have connections? I don't work in publishing. I don't have, you know, a bunch of Instagram followers and I don't know the first thing about writing a book. We're going to cover all of those topics today. And I think you're going to be incredibly inspired and just reminded of how truly important your own personal story can be. All right. I'm here with Jill Phillips today. Jill, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk with you about all kinds of things, including your book, but we'll start where I always start with these conversations, which is with the question, what does it mean to you to find your voice? It's an interesting question because when I started writing the book, that's really not what I thought it would do for me. But it has in many different ways, because what it's helped me to do is to reconnect with my roots. It Mm. feels a little bit like coming home. And uh, you have to understand, I I lived in Canada for 30 years, so I sort of moved about a fair bit. And so to start talking with family about what happened in the 1960s and why, you know, things happened the way they did. But when I started talking to mum about, oh, why did you do this and how did that happen? I now have more of a, I have a sense of peace that I understand now why they did the things that they they did. It was for a better tomorrow. And although it was, you know, still a difficult time for the children to go through all these changes, at least now I have a a sense of, I understand, although I may not agree, but I do understand. Yeah. You know, I love hearing you say that because it has been my experience too, that writing down my personal story has given me lots of context for my own life. And I say all the time, I coach writers who are working on memoirs specifically, 
to engage in the process of writing a memoir, even if they don't think they'll ever publish it, or even if they aren't sure how they'll get it published because of exactly what you're talking about. I do think it's so deeply healing to see your own story on the page. So it's really affirming for me to hear you say that. Your memoir is called Lamlash Street, a portrait of 1960s post-war London through one family story. What was it that drew you to write this particular story? I wanted to, okay, for me, that way of life was a way of life that was disappearing quite rapidly. I think I wanted to preserve the memories and the people and what they had done for us. And my mum in particular, who was highly organized and very goal focused, how she improved our lives through the decisions that were made during that year. It was 1963. That's beautiful. How did you approach this? You know, so you you knew that you wanted to tell this story about this particular time in your life. But I think one of the challenges that we all face when we sit down to write a personal story is we have to try to tell it in a way that's compelling to a reader, or at least that follows some kind of narrative arc. And our lives don't always fit perfectly into a traditional narrative arc. Were you thinking about that as you sat down to write this book? And if so, you know, what were some of the things that you were keeping in mind? And then maybe also you could talk about some of the roadblocks that you ran into along the way. So what I did, no, I I didn't start with any of those because I don't think I really understood the process I was working through. But where I started was, I think it was a good place to start, literally is to take the family stories, talk to the family members that remember those times and write it down. That's where I started. I started with a collection of stories. It's a process. You know, you, you don't just, uh, it took me three years in total from start to finish. So it probably took me about 18 months, two years with the, the actual writing piece. But what I found was helpful for me was because I didn't know that I was supposed to have story structure and so on. I knew, but it wasn't a, a high priority for me. I literally started with the stories, the individual stories. When I had enough of the stories documented, I I recognized that I really wanted this book to be very readable. I I didn't want it to be sound just like a diary. Oh, come this day, this happened on that day, that happened. I wanted it to be a, a page turner because the reality is if somebody finds the book interesting, then they'll talk to somebody else about it. So your family story will spread and, and, but if somebody says, well, you know, it was okay, but it got a bit dry in places, it's like, well, that's not really going to, to reach as many people. So as I was writing down the stories, I thought, I really want this to do well. And one of the reasons was, oh, four or five years ago, I was chatting to my uncle. Back in the 1960s, we had this huge Lamlash Street, huge Victorian house we rented. We were upstairs, myself, my brother and my mum and dad. And my aunt and uncle, which is the uncle I'm talking about, lived downstairs. It was like, it was almost an extended family home, really, is what it was, with like an in-law suite downstairs. So uncle and aunt had always been a huge part of my growing up. And uncle said that he wanted to write down his war stories and have them published. And I thought, well, that's a nice idea. But he hadn't written anything, so I didn't think anything of it. And then about three months later, uncle passed on. And uh, unexpectedly, I mean, it was older, but mm. nonetheless, it was fairly quick. It was only yeah. like three days from living at home to being, you know, he's, he was gone. And so I thought, wouldn't it be nice to take that story and turn it into a book? And then when he his estate was settled, myself and my brother got some money from that. So I used some of that money to to hire people as 
needed to help me with writing the book because I wanted something that was going to be really good that people really yeah. wanted to to value. And in part, it's because of his memory and the fact that it's a tribute to him that I wanted him to be proud. And I want my mum to be proud and the family to be proud. So when I got the stories together, I thought, I have to make this a page turner. I cannot have Mm. a book which is not a page turner. So I was chatting to somebody and said, well, why don't you bookend the story, the beginning and the end, with Christmas? And I absolutely love Christmas. So for me, that was an easy thing to write about. And in those days, there was large family Christmas parties, everyone jumping up and down in time to the music. And, you know, they were holding down the radiogram because the needle was bouncing on the record and all this sort of thing. So I thought 1963 would be a good year because it was a year of tremendous change in our family. That's when a lot of difficult decisions were made. And so in the end, that's what I ended up doing. I chose 1963, and it was a complete year. So it started with Christmas 1962, finished with Christmas 1963, and it's what happened in the family during that 12-month period. And I was hoping by starting and finishing it with Christmas that that would be some sort of attraction as well for people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it sort of encapsulates the rest of the story. You know, I mean, it contributes to the story arc for sure, understanding where it starts and finishes. You made a connection that I don't think I've heard anyone else make before. And I think this is important for our listeners to pay attention to. So I just want to call it out because we have so many listeners who are either working on personal memoirs or dream of one day writing a personal memoir and are talking themselves out of it for one, one reason or another. And you talked about wanting this memoir to be really good, to be a page turner. And and you said the reason for that really was about honoring your uncle's life and and honoring the family legacy and honoring the history. That feels really important to me because I think a lot of times as writers, we can get caught up in this sort of, you know, I want this thing to be good because we do have a genuine drive to make it interesting to other people, but we can get caught up in thinking that that it's really about selling a bunch of copies of the book or hitting the New York Times list or getting it with a certain agent or a certain publisher, which there's, there's nothing wrong with having those goals. But I think at the end of the day, wanting to write a memoir that's really good, whatever we mean by good, is really about wanting wanting to honor ourselves, honor our own story, honor our family, honor our history, honor our legacy. And that's a really worthwhile pursuit. So I just wanted to call that out because you, you made that connection. I haven't heard anyone else say that before. Oh, thank you. appreciate that. But for me, that's that's the emotional reason for keeping with the book because writing a book is a very solitary job to do. Sure. And at times you look at this and think, what on earth am I thinking? Am I this grandiose person who thinks <laughs> you can write Shakespeare or something? Like, no, you're not sure. writing Shakespeare. But it's a long, hard slog, basically, writing a book. Yes. But it was for me. And there were a couple of months when I did nothing and a couple of other months when I did tons of stuff. So it's, it's, it's a creative process. is very sporadic. But what kept me going throughout this whole thing is, well, you know, I really wanted to do this for my mum, for, for family and my uncle. That was what kept me going to the end. In terms of how many books would I sell? No, it wasn't even a thought in my mind, to be honest. Yeah. If I'd sold two that went after it was published, I'd been thrilled to death. Yeah. You know? yeah. But so, yeah, no, it was all about the family. And I think if this is just my take on it, if you don't have that emotional need, it's a really difficult thing to get to the end of the book and to have a quality product at the end of the day. Because I think, as you say, you're just 
start to looking at well, what books sold and got to number one and this bestsellers list and that. No, yes. I, I didn't want that. I wanted the spirit of the time to be in the book. And that was important. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think the motivation, it's again, a fine goal to have to want to be on the New York times list or whatever else it is. But I don't think that motivation is what keeps people coming back to the page to actually finish something that they can feel personally proud of. And I've coached hundreds of authors to write their personal stories. And I'm telling you the stories that people come back to and actually finish and feel proud of at the end of the day are the ones like you're talking about that are keeping you up at night. They're the family questions that you can't stop asking. And the the sort of like inner unexplained drive to understand yourself or where you come from. That's what really keeps people coming back to the page. Yes, that's right. I was hoping for that as well. How did you know who to talk to and what questions to ask? I know a lot of writers struggle with this. And I remember writing my first memoir when I was reading about how to write a memoir and, you know, whatever I was reading online on Google or you know, like Google, like how to write a memoir. And I would read about research and I was like, research, do I need to do research for my memoir? But over time, I've obviously discovered that research can look a lot of different ways, depending on the book that you're writing. But I'm curious, did you just follow your instinct on that? Did you have a list of questions that you were were using? Were you watching other authors to know what kinds of questions they were asking? How did you know who to talk to and what questions to ask? I did sort of go alone, I have to say on that, because to me, research is really just asking questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I I, I did my graduate degree and I wrote a thesis. So I sort of, you know, I I can do the interview thing. Sure. I, I didn't want this to be an interview situation. So what I did was I would be very casual and say, Oh, do you remember when this happened? That's smart. That's smart of you. Yeah. So it was more sort of inquisitive type questioning. Somebody said to me, so, well, what did you do? Did you record the interview? I said, no, no. Cause again, it's too formal. You want people to relax and yeah. focus on trying to remember, not thinking, Oh, there's a tape recorder or whatever is in front of me, whatever. So what I, I did was I just made jot notes on a piece of paper on my lap, you know, like just casual. Oh, 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 that's interesting. Tell me more. And then within half an hour, I would go to a quiet place and transcribe them all and write it out or put it on the laptop, however, whatever process I was using at the time. But I wanted to make it very informal. I think if you're interviewing complete strangers, maybe the structure is good. But when it comes to family, they will share more with you if they think that you are really interested in them as opposed to just sure. there to take stories from them. Yeah. Because to them, they're special, precious memories, right? Of course. Yeah. Did they know that you were writing a book and that's why you were asking them the questions? Well, I did say that, but I also think that most people in my family thought, oh, right, right. She's writing a book. Yeah. She thinks she is. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. She'll write a book. That's amazing. Did you worry along the way? I have a lot of people ask me this question about other people that you were writing about, about how they would perceive the stories you had told about them. On the whole, because it's written from the viewpoint of a 10 year old, it's fairly, I could avoid a lot of those, but there was one piece in the book. It relates to my, my dad's mother, my nan on my dad's side. Dad had always talked to me over the years about how terrible his life was growing up. And so there was a there's a section in there where I talk about the fact that my dad's father was a, a violent drunk. This is back in the 1940s, so, you know, different days then. Mm. And he disappeared from my dad's life when he was just seven years old, which left my nan to look after three boys. Uh, and remember, there's no social safety nets in those days, so there was no yeah. money coming in, no government supports, uh, nothing to support the children. 
eventually she had to give away one of the, the, the boys. And my dad only learned that about 10 years before he died, that he had a, a brother, another brother. Wow. But the lifestyle that my nan had was quite, I say colourful, that's the, the only phrase I yeah. can use for it. Her work was pushing railway carriages at Waterloo Station, physically pushing them up and down the track. Wow. She had a, a curve in her spine where one of the trains had injured her and she had permanent damage there. But then when she wasn't working, she was down the pub, basically. Mm. And what little money extra they had, she would enjoy you know, a couple of hours drinking with friends and so on. And sometimes some uncles would come home at night because she, she was by herself. Sure. And now you have to remember that they only had two rooms in their apartment. There was a, a large house, no kitchen, a, a communal kitchen. And there was one room where my nan slept on the, the larger bed and her other son slept in the corner. And then my dad slept on a pull-out sofa bed in the room next door. There were no locks on the doors. I had to wedge a, a chair under the door handle so nobody would come in. And so on the nights when there was a guest, the brother would then be in with my dad and Nan would be next door, his mum with a friend. Yeah. So I wasn't sure how to write that. And I, I actually I wrote it because I thought it does explain some of dad's resentments and some of the things that he suffered through. And I'm not saying a lot of people weren't in the same situation because it was they were very different days. But I did give it to a few before I actually decided it was definitely going to go in the book. I gave it to a few people to read. And I said, what do you think of this? Now, how does this come across as too, something too private? And I said, I, I tried to, to treat it sympathetically and say, well, like I've just said, that they were different days. She was facing very difficult circumstances. So I tried to, be, to understand what, why she would do something like that. Yeah. People said to me, no, that seems fine. And I thought, you know what, I've got to provide some context because I know from my dad's viewpoint, it was something he never really recovered from. And being in London during the Blitz and watching all the, the buildings being blown up and the bombs coming down, he still talks about that right up until the very end. Hmm. So I did leave it in for that reason. What have you learned through this process about how our family history impacts us? It taught me why I am, to a large extent, the person that I am. And I hadn't seen, I hadn't connected the dots on this at all. I knew I was a fairly independent person who had definite views. Through writing this, I realized how my mother had very definite views as well. (laughs) She would decide what she wanted and what was right for her. And at times we used to have some conflict because we were both strong women without ideas and I really didn't understand why that was and I found that a little bit frustrating but having written the book and having seen for example in her day she decided that uh, we were going to buy a house and not rent it because she said renting was a complete and utter waste of money her whole family and there must be like I don't know 50 of them probably (laughs) would say to her no you don't want to do that renting is the way to go because if you buy a property you're going to have this millstone of a mortgage around your neck forever and you'll never get out from under it it's the worst thing you can ever do but mum went ahead and did it anyway and that was who she was mum really ruled the roost in our family dad was happy to go along with whatever was going on in life but mum organised things, she planned things. And the reason my brother and I have an education is because mum decided that 
we would uh, education was more valuable than sending the children out to work at age 16 because then you know they'd bring money and you'd have extra food on the table no we mm-hmm. were going to be educated very well educated we would never wear second hand clothes unless she had to have, you know hand me downs so we always had new clothing a lot of kids in our area could not afford even to change their clothes they probably only had like one set of clothes and then were very mm-hmm. really washed so we were always in sort of the mums that we were better than the others uh, in that sense that we, you know, we, we were expected to work hard to improve mm-hmm. our lot in life, basically, uh, to work hard at school, it, when you were working, to work hard at work, to um, dress well because clothes maketh the man. And mm-hmm. uh, so you always had to dress, be very careful how you dressed. And right up to the very end, mum was always a very smart-looking lady. Mm-hmm. So those, those basic values were instilled in me without me realising it right back in, in those days. And then when I start writing about them, and, and of course you're poring over the page, thinking, oh, how can I write this? Is this entertaining? Or can I do it this way or that yeah. way? You're thinking about it so much. You begin to understand why you are the person that you are to this very day. And they have a, had a greater influence on me than I ever realized. Yeah. I want to ask you about that, actually, because I think this is a common obstacle that writers face when they write their personal stories, especially is sometimes when we write our personal stories down, there are parts where we're like, is this just interesting to me? Or is this going to be interesting to somebody else? And I have writers say to me all the time, like, I'm worried my story is just not that interesting. Or, or, you know, I'll have people who will write personal stories and say, like, nothing that interesting has really happened to me. I've not lived a very dramatic life. And I find my personal belief is everybody's story is interesting. But I'm curious if you bumped into this while you were writing your story. And if so, how did you filter what events you knew would be interesting to the reader versus which ones might just be only interesting to you? I was trying to give a flavor of the the day. So 1963 was an interesting year. We still had Band the Bomb marches um, for Aldermaston, which was... um, a base just outside London where the UK nuclear weapons were stored. Uh, Telstar, which was the first satellite, communication satellite, had just gone up. And there was actually a song by the Tremolos, the group, called Telstar, to talk about all this spacey, exciting future we all had. That was also the year that I had my first love, my romance, Anthony, who was mm. the very first time to have a Valentine's card. So it all seemed to fit well in terms of having lots of interesting stories to put into the book. So I was hoping by giving a variety of different types of stories that people would find it interesting. But at the end of the day, I did it because it was family history. And as I said earlier, if I'd sold just two books, I'd have been thrilled to death. Yeah. And every time that somebody says to me, oh, right, I've read your book and The Complete Strangers, and I remember this, oh, yes, I remember Manor Place bars where you used to get your swimming lessons because I used to live around the corner from there. Oh, wow. And it's like, really? I don't think you understand the power of words and what you've written until it's out there. And people come to you and say, wow, I really enjoyed that. It was very good and then they start talking about their family stories yes and I don't think until you've been through that process you can understand that's where you're going with this writing a book is I thought it's just you know writing like writing writing an assignment at school you write it and then that goes on but it does move people 
Yeah. When you meet people and they say how it's moved them and how they've talked to their family members about when they were younger, you realize how much a value it does have. But at the time of writing it, no, I just wanted to write something interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I resonate with that so much. I agree with you that writing, you really can't understand the power of words. You mentioned that until you've written them down and start to see the impact that they have on other people. And then also to see that the impact on one or two or five people is so profound is a really deeply satisfying feeling as an author that is far more satisfying than seeing that you've sold, you know, X, Y, Z number of copies of the book. I have a, uh, the second memoir that I've ever written has sold fewer copies than my other books for one reason or another. But the, the emails that I get in response to that book are so powerful. And what it's taught me is, you know, I mean, people will email me and say, I decided to leave this toxic relationship because I read your story and I really resonated. And I, you know, realized things about my relationship that I hadn't seen before. And when I read emails like that, I think to myself, it doesn't take that much. Like it, it doesn't take 10,000 people saying that to you for you to feel like very satisfied and proud that you wrote this story down. It takes about five (laughs) and getting those five emails. You think like, okay, that's five real people whose real lives are changed because I decided to invest myself in writing this story. And I feel connected to these people because of that. And I think people underestimate the satisfaction that you can feel as an author with just a small handful of people resonating with your story. Yes, because what you're looking for, you want people who are genuine with you. You don't want people who say, oh, that was a nice book, you know, and then they've read sure. 5,000 others. Yeah. You want people that can genuinely say, I really enjoyed that. And I was talking to my mother or relative about when we were, it was back in the 1960s for us, and this happened and that happened. And you can hear in people's voices and you can see, you know, when you get emails and that, you have had an influence on people. They yeah. They've enjoyed going back to those days because it was a good time in a sense, although it was a hard time. But at the end of the day, not only have you made people happy, but you've helped them connect with their family as well. Yes. And yeah. That, that to me is really what it's all about. You know, it's that's tremendous to know that you can still. And the other thing I love about writing a book is the book goes on forever. Yes. So it's not just, okay, it was published on this date and. The number of people who are going to buy the book will be over the next couple of months, whatever it is. No, I mean, this book is going to be there forever. So the things my mum did in the 1960s and the life we experienced will always be there. It will be out there next to Shakespeare, if you want to put yeah. it that way. It is yeah. there. It's documented. You know, it's, it's, it's special for that reason. And I've had people who I thought the 60-plus group were going to be the ones that really would relate to this because of the, the time frame. But I've had people in their teens and, and 20s who picked it up because it was a story by a young girl. Yeah. Um, and they said, you know, I, I did not, I thought we had things tough now, but when I look back, I get a perspective of how tough life was back in yeah. those days as well. And so it's, it's changing their perspective. And that for me was, was really, it was good for me to hear that because I hadn't anticipated that at all. So again, it's, the book is bigger than you can ever imagine, I think is, is what happens. So beautiful. Can I ask you some practical publishing questions? And I ask this for the handful of our our listeners who I know really are wanting to write and publish their own memoir. And the the mental obstacle that's in their way from even finishing the manuscript is, how am I going to get an agent? How will I get a publisher? How am I going to publish this? Do I want to self-publish? 
So I'm curious if you could just talk a little bit about the practicalities of publishing. Did you, how did you make those decisions along the way about whether you would self-publish or traditionally publish? And then, you know, how did you know what to do next? I think that's the big thing most people are wondering is like, how would I, if I decide to self-publish, how would I know how to do that and what to do? I was fortunate because, as I said, when Uncle passed away, my, my brother and I had some money from that. So I decided I would go to the people who knew what the book business was all about. My whole life has been in the healthcare industry, so I have no knowledge of the things you just mentioned <laughs> before question. So once I had the information down, I actually went and I, I paid for the professionals to help me through that, basically. The, the company I went through was uh, book launchers, who are people who help people to self-publish, but they also provide the editors. They help you, the people who are going to help you with the designing of the, the book cover. People help you with the social media side of things. And I, I purposely did not want to go through a publisher because I wanted to understand how all those, those aspects worked. For me, it was partly about the book, but also partly about edu- increasing my education around how do you what does social media mean? What do you have to do to um, launch your social media platform? Yeah. I wanted to know more about everything, about marketing, everything to do with the book. So I decided for me, because I assumed I knew absolutely nothing about nothing, basically, in terms <laughs> of the type of thing, that that would be the route I would go. Now, obviously, people have different resources that they can draw on. I, for example, had no connection with any authors. There wasn't somebody in the family that had written a book, I could go to them. So for me, I, that was the best thing to do. And I haven't been disappointed with that because I, I think I had to acknowledge, despite everything else I've done in life, I had not really no knowledge of this area that, that would be useful to me. And I really wanted to get it published. I really did not want to spend days and months and years reading about things on the internet, trying to work out how to, to, to get everything pulled together. Yeah, that was my decision. Um, And for me, it was a good one. But everyone is is different and they have different resources they can draw on. But what I would say is just get the information down first. That's really yes. And then worry about the rest of it once it's done, because I think once you have the storyline there and you have something you're happy with, then you've got something concrete. You can go to people and say, I need this sort of help and that sort of help, depending where you are in the process. Yeah, that's really good advice. Really, really good advice. How has writing this memoir impacted your personal life? It's been amazing, actually, I have to say. I hadn't even thought about this side of things. I was so focused on trying to get the story finished. But for example, like today, we're sitting here talking about my book. I've had numerous other podcasts. I did a Zoom presentation last week. It's really helped me grow as a person because I understand where I've come from much more now than I ever did before. And and when you're asked these similar types of questions, it does make you think about, well, what have I I got from this book? Why did I write it? What has it meant for your family? So in a sense, it helps you to understand where you've come from. And, And the other thing that I have to say is the most amazing thing is when you finally get a copy of your book and it comes through the mail to you and you're looking at, your name on the front cover of the book and I so have mine and my pictures on the back it's like well I never thought I'd do this and that is a tremendous confidence builder I have to say yes. as well. it really is yeah you can't see me but I'm smiling so big right now because I'm I'm completely agreeing with you there's something about that 
first time that you open the box and see your book in real life in 3D and your name is on the cover and you're like, oh my gosh, I did a thing that I've always wanted to do. And and yes, exactly how you said that. It's a huge, huge com- confidence booster. And so what happens I've found since I've, I've so, so, yeah, so I've written a book, you know, sort of blasé, so not really, but <laughs> sort of downplay it, is it's like, well, what else can I do next that I didn't think yeah. I had to do? And yeah. so... Uh, it's, I almost feel it's very empowering. I think that's the best way to phrase it. Extremely empowering to know that you've done something that's, you know, it's not easy, but you did get to the end and you have you know, got some positive feedback. And well, if I did that, now what else can I do in life? You're sort of looking around the world thinking, now what should I do next? It yeah. almost seems as if you can do anything you want to, but it does take an awful lot of work. And an awful lot of time, far more time than you would have ever thought it would. But yeah. the rewards at the end are so great. You recognize that other things in your life probably are going to go the same way. Yes. So if, if someone's listening to this, I know we have a lot of people listening who are either, you know, midway through their memoir and struggling with it or who have dreamed of writing a memoir someday or who hear me say all the time, that writing a memoir is such a powerful way to produce positive change in your life and to understand yourself better and see yourself as the hero of your own story. And, and a lot of people who think like, okay, cool, that's nice, <laughs> but not for me. What would you say to someone who's feeling sort of invited into the process, but is either stuck or is putting it off because they feel like they can't, they don't have what it takes to make it happen? It's scary because at the end of the day, you're your words are out there and you can't change them once they're published. So it is scary and you're taking a risk, but then we take many risks in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit like going on um, a first date. So you, you do your best, but you never know quite where it's going to end up sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you write a book, you are taking a risk. People could turn around and say, Oh, that's terrible. But actually everyone's been really polite. So that's good. So much. <laughs> but yeah, no, just do it. Life's short. My poor mum, as I said, passed away in January. Now she was 90. She'd had a, a lot of years, but nonetheless, you know, I don't think she planned to go quite when she did. She got COVID mm. unfortunately. And that oh, was it. I'm so sorry. But you know, life is short. Do it. Um, what have you got to lose? If you write a book, and it's not well received. You can always rework the book if you need to. But if you really put your heart and soul into it, there will be a ton of people out there who will say, I'm so glad you wrote that book because it meant so much to me. And the mm. thing is, you don't know until you get it out there. So, yes, it's a risk, but just have that confidence to publish. You're, you're going to get tons of people saying to you, sort of patting you on the back and saying, oh wow your book's published um so so where is it published and then you can say well it's on amazon.com you know and thinking am I really saying this yeah yeah so it's yeah you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain really I agree 100% are you working on anything new do you have any new writing projects coming up I am actually I'm, I'm getting information together for the sequel to this book because as you know there's a, a romance in the book yes it's sort of left a bit up in the air at the end of the book as to what happens next. And you would not believe the number of people that, that walk up to me and say, um, so what happens to Anthony next? Are you writing your next book now? <laughs> yeah. Are you going to answer the question for us? You left an open story loop. That also made me think, oh, people do really care about these people. So, yes, I am writing the next book, partly because people are saying to me, what happens next? Yeah. And the next book will be different in the sense because uh, the environment changed completely for us 
And it's also given me a chance to, again, reconnect with family and say, oh, do you remember when we moved to Beth and and we left Lamlash Street? Oh, yes, I remember that. And I can remember, actually, I was chatting to my cousin, one of my many cousins the other day. I was saying, do you remember when we left Lamlash Street, you know, and um, we had to leave family and that behind? He said, yes. He said, "Um, I can remember. He said, one year, he said, like at Christmas of 1962, he said, I had tons of presents under the tree from all the uncles and aunts and cousins. And they said, Christmas 1963, he said, I had just three gifts under the tree. He said, I felt so abandoned, so lonely because everyone Mm. had left. And wow. uh, but you, you you then you can have a, a, a conversation about that, and you have a different connection with people because you've done that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I think you've kind of answered this last question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, so you can say something succinctly. I like the I like how this ties up these conversations. I always like to ask this question last, but given that the writing process itself is as complex as it is, and sometimes defeating and frustrating, you know, it's also rewarding, but given that writing can be as challenging as it is, what is it for you that keeps you coming back? I think for me, it was to honor my family. As I said, I desperately wanted to get the stories down before my, I used to call my mum my research assistant. Yeah. Because I said, mum, what about Sansa? And, um, and, And that's actually been a really nice thing, which I did not anticipate is now that mum's gone and so she's not here for me to hear any more of her stories other relatives know about them so I can ask them what she did and the memories that she had I still have and I'm still sitting here talking to people about them so she's gone but not forgotten yes I think you you do it for those reasons that you want to maintain those links and you want other people to know what happened in those days as well and how much struggle they had so um, yeah, that, that's that's to me has been one of the biggest bonuses. That although you know through the grieving you go through that piece, yeah. I'm still sitting here looking at a copy of the book and seeing what my mum did. So she's she's immortalised, if you like. That may be a grandiose way of looking at it, but she'll never be forgotten. Yeah. Yes. What an absolutely beautiful sentiment to close this conversation on. Jill, it's been such a delight to talk to you. Thank you for sharing with me. I know this is a a little bit of a different set of questions than what you've been talking about in other interviews, but I know our listeners are going to gain so much from hearing your experience of writing down your own personal story. And I hope it inspires so many of them to do the same with theirs, to either power through if they're, if they're stuck in the middle or to get started if they haven't gotten started yet. So thank you for being an inspiration. Thanks for going in front of us and thanks for sharing about your experience we're very grateful oh you're more than pleased to do this and if just one person decides to finish their book i'll be thrilled to death <laughs> through oh, to death thanks jill if you have a book you know you want to self-publish but you don't have the first clue how to do that you need to know about an organization called book launchers What's so unique about book launchers is they can help you identify your publishing objectives and then help you achieve those objectives through content development, editing, publication, and even the marketing of the book. All those unknowns that felt so scary and confusing before, what do I do next? How am I going to get my book out in the world? Your personal book coach at Book Launchers is going to guide you every step of the way. In fact, you'll never wonder again if you're on the right path with your book, thanks to Book Launchers. To learn more about Book Launchers, go to booklaunchers.com or follow the link in the show notes and make sure to let them know Find Your Voice sent you. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. 
We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.